Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. All right, you guys ready to roll into part two of Why in the World? Mm, not that convincing, but we'll go. So I, I think most people have been here. Like th- this happened either in middle school, it happened earlier, maybe you're going through it right now. But all of us have had those like awkward um, seasons. And this specifically happens in school where something gets pointed out or you get made fun of. And a lot of times it's not in your control at all. And it's just that thing. And this weird like human thing, especially among little humans who are ruthless, um, you want to point stuff out, compare, point out flaws, the whole deal. When I was really young, and I was really young, I don't know the exact age, but this is like before regular teeth came in, so that's how young I was. And I got hurt a bunch as a kid. I don't know why. Um, my brother dropped me on my head one time, spent several days in the hospital for that, couldn't remember until I got to the hospital, um, busted my chin open multiple times, had to get stitches one time because this is just my dad, like, we'll just put tape on it and it'll be better. And so I did that. So I didn't have stitches. We just waited for it to heal with some duct tape. And then, um, and that's a true story. You think I'm exaggerating? I'm not. Um, grew up on a farm. And then uh, there's this other time where I was fighting with my brother, face planted, teeth went, um, you know, concrete, you know, onto the concrete first, but the teeth didn't get knocked out. They just got discolored. So I had like two brown teeth in the front of my mouth. And then again, my dad's just like, the solution is, well, you'll get new ones eventually. So I had to go with those for a while. Um, it's part of the reason I've had some counseling is I didn't realize till just now I have some dad issues, but I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, but I had like these things and it was super, I was super self-conscious of it. And I had those for a little while. Like it took a little while for those to come out. And you know how kids are, like they ruthlessly point that stuff out and you can't do anything about it. And then it didn't help that I was kind of, if people who know me well, I'm a little right brain. So it's like, I was into stuff that was not cool, you know, like art and puppets as an eight-year-old. So that's not winning you any points in school. So all of that, that doesn't leave the room, but like all of that was going on. And it's just this thing where if you've ever had something pointed out that you don't have any control over, it's the best word I could say is it's kind of dehumanizing, Right. Because you just can't control it. You can't change it. You can't do anything about it. It's just this weird scenario. And again, human beings have this thing in them, in us, where we want to compare. We want to point out. We want to power up. We want to feel better then. And we think that leaves us at middle school, but it doesn't. One of the things over the last couple of years that has been a big deal is like with all online and social media, there's this huge kind of cry against bullying, right? Especially cyberbullying, but not just cyberbullying, which is a great thing. Like especially in America, there's this huge movement like you shouldn't bully, that's not right, you shouldn't treat another individual like that. And all of those are amazing, though I will point out there's always an hypocrisy 
with every movement because we don't care if, if you're rich or you have a platform or you're famous, we can treat you however we want. Um, and we can say whatever we want on social media, and then we can make comments in our mom's basement, which you don't have in Florida, but other people, and do it under a pseudonym, and like all of that stuff. And we don't worry about that. If you're rich, powerful, have influence, anything else, we treat you as less than human beings. So that's the hypocrisy, another message. But otherwise, there's this thing of like, you shouldn't do that. Every individual has worth. Bullying is not right. You shouldn't treat another individual like that. And we just see that as yes. Every healthy, normal thinking, like thoughtful person, that's how they view the world. And yet, what you find out, even as you study history, is that respect for the individual is not natural. And again, it's almost hard for us to believe because in the West, especially in other places around the world, we believe it's natural. But go back to the first century where everything was might makes right. And if I have wealth, if I have power, then God's blessed me. If I don't have those things, then somehow God is angry with me. And it was a culture that was built on what is natural. And what is natural is superiority. I have the advantage over you. I look down on you. I point out your flaws. And the thing that is hard for us to wrap our mind around is our belief that individuals have value is actually a learned value. It's not an assumed value. And I would make the case that what Jesus brought to planet Earth and what has been um, handed down from generation to generation, what has shaped the West so much is the teaching of Jesus that every individual has dignity and every individual has extraordinary worth. It's wise, the best example I could think of, like when Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson sat down to write the Declaration of Independence, they wordsmithed that thing to death if you know the story, because they didn't want to leave anything to assumption. And here's the famous words, you know these, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident. And what's a self-evident truth? It's basically if you think long enough about some, something, a thoughtful, healthy person will kind of come to the conclusion of, yeah, that just makes sense. Yeah, that's self-evident. But it's not natural. What is self-evident is not natural. And so we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are, and here's the huge linchpin, are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, meaning it all moves back to this, that there is a creator, and if you believe that, that creator has a creation, and he has created that creation equally, and they're accountable to God for how they treat one another, and then it goes on to say, among these are life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, that to secure, and you have to secure it, because it's not natural, even though it's self-evident, these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers for the, from the consent of the governed. And so even though something is self-evident, we constantly lean in the direction of what is natural, of what we just do without thinking. As you look at ancient cultures, what they just did without thinking, that this is maybe self-evident that there's a creator and there's a creation, and if that creator has created things, specifically human beings, that all of his creation is on equal footing. But again, it is not natural, and we don't automatically move in that direction. I mean, think about this. Like, there are things that are self-evident in your life, but they're not natural. Like, what is self-evident? Like, you should eat healthy. You don't necessarily eat healthy. Self-evident is like you should exercise and you don't exercise a lot of times because what is self-evident and nobody would really argue with is not natural. In fact, a lot of things buck up against what is natural. You don't wanna do it. You don't wanna move in that direction. It's just natural to move in a different direction that actually undermines what you know is good for you. And this is one of the reasons that Jesus came. 
that Jesus entered into planet Earth, and one of his goals that I did not wanna leave this series without dealing with was to take what is self-evident but not natural and move it up to the forefront for all of history so that we could never miss this, so that we could never doubt it, so there was not any room or any margin to wonder what God thought and how God reacted and how God viewed individuals. But one of the reasons that God came was to take these self-evident truths that are not natural and put them at the forefront of everything that he taught in every interaction which is a huge part of what we're answering in this series. Like, why did God come? And the Sunday school answer is he came to die, and that's great, and he did, and that's huge. But that almost puts off the answer. John said it this way. John, who's a guy who believed, didn't believe, wasn't sure if he believed, and believed again. So if that's your faith journey, you and John would get along. He wrote this, and the word, talking about Jesus, became flesh. And he dwelt, literally hung out among human beings. And so last week we talked about this, like the first reason that Jesus came, the essence of the Christmas story is he came to communicate and to demonstrate what God is like. The most powerful scene, maybe in all scripture, is Jesus is being baptized and God the Father says, this is my son Jesus in whom I'm well pleased. And my paraphrase is that our heavenly father basically going, if you want to know what God's like, watch my boy. If you wanna know what God's like, pay attention to my boy, watch his life, listen to what he says, watch how he interacts, who he interacts with, but all of God is going to be wrapped up in Jesus. And so we've said this, if you look at anything else, you may find pieces of God or things that will give you clues about God, but if you do anything other than looking at Jesus, you will miss God. The embodiment of who God is, is wrapped up in Jesus. And so Jesus was able to say, listen, if you've seen me, You've seen God the Father, which is an absolutely insane statement, if, unless it's true. If you want to know what God is like, how he thinks, how he feels, how he interacts, how he would interact with you, it's all wrapped up in Jesus. But here's the other thing as you read the Gospels that you cannot move past is that the other like, major reason that Jesus stepped foot on planet Earth and part of the reason we're answering this question of why would God condescend into human flesh but be treated less than humans, the other thing that you cannot get away from over and over again is the fact that Jesus came to elevate the dignity of every single individual. And this is such a core to the life of Jesus in this whole message of Christmas. I, I talk about this a lot, but you cannot fully grasp, I think most of us, what kind of world Jesus entered into when he was born as a baby in a manger, specifically around how people were viewed and treated. Because people in the first century were treated and were viewed as commodities. Now, the thing is, like, even as you look to um, American colonialism and all of the atrocities and evil and the sin around how people were viewed and treated, even in that, if you study history, there was a thread of conscience that ultimately overturned and began to derail some of that stuff that we're still trying to catch up with. But there was a thread of conscience specific, specifically among some spiritual people who saw that there's a creator, he has a creation, that creation is equal. But as you look at a Greco-Roman world in the first century, there was no thread of conscience, none. Because among the gods, the gods weren't considered compassionate. If you were wealthy, if you were in good health, if you were upper middle class, the gods loved you. If you weren't, the gods hated you. Compassion as we view it was not a virtue among ancient gods. And so people were viewed as commodities. And there was even a hierarchical system among slaves. There was like household slaves, 
There were field slaves. There were those in salt mines. There was lower class slaves. I mean, everything had a hierarchy. I've said this before, joking, but it's true. There was even a hierarchical system among gods. If you were wealthy, you got Zeus. If you were like lower class slave, you got Bob. Like he didn't do a whole lot. He couldn't grow your crops. Everything was hierarchical. And of course, you know this, women did not have value and dignity. Children didn't have value and dignity. And then you had all of these religious leaders who had to try to keep this going because the issue, if you wonder why some of the religious leaders behaved the way they did in the first century, it's because they had to keep control and power. And the only way to keep control and power and maintain their reliance on Rome was to make sure that they constantly utilized the law of God to remind sinners and keep them in their place and make sure women knew their place and make sure that Jewish or Roman people and Greek people and Samaritans and on and on it goes, and those who were lame all knew their place in society. So they would use the law of God in order to maintain control and make sure that people knew how they were viewed in society and that basically God's favor rested on the prosperous, wealthy men. That was culture when Jesus showed up in a manger. There was no individual dignity, individual worth, individual rights. I know that's hard for us in the West to believe that Jesus at some level introduced that to mankind, but I'm telling you, our sense of dignity is learned. It is not natural. And you see this over and over again as Jesus walked on planet earth as he grew and started his ministry that Jesus elevated the status of every individual in a couple ways. The first way that he did it is through his teaching. One day, he tells a story to this crowd about a Samaritan. And again, we just go on by this, we don't even think about it. The fact that good would be attached to Samaritan from that period forward was offensive to people in the first century. Jesus took a Samaritan who was the victim of racism. They were considered half-breeds and he makes him the hero of the story. And this guy in Jesus' story, he was better than the priests. Are you kidding me? Like the men of God. He was better than the Levites. He was better than the legal experts in authority. And so Jesus took a Samaritan and made the Samaritan good because Jesus had a very specific point. I am elevating the status of people who you think are less than. And then in other teachings, he would talk about the trilogy of lost things where there's this story where he talks about lost coins. He talks about a second born son who basically said, forget you, dad. I wish you were dead. I wish I had your inheritance. He left, eventually comes back with all kinds of bad decisions and dysfunction, and his father embraces him. And we just think, well, that's an amazing story of the prodigal son. It was much more than that. It was elevating the status of even in own families, individuals who did not have dignity based on where they were born. And Jesus is like, I want to change that. And then in that trilogy, he talks about a woman who lost a coin, which that means nothing to us. So insert iPhone, a woman who lost the iPhone. And so she's going crazy in the story, trying to find the iPhone, I mean, that's for any of us, men or women, trying to find the iPhone. And Jesus, again, it's like, oh, that's a cool story. Jesus loves you know, people who are lost, who've walked away. He'll do anything to run them down. It wasn't just that. In this story, Jesus is making the woman the highlight of the story. Why? Because they had no value. And in this moment, Jesus is going, every individual has extraordinary dignity. It's one of the reasons I came, even women. And another time he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, this famous sermon you maybe heard of. And over and over again, he's blessed are those who, blessed are those who, blessed are those who, and everybody's listening intently, everybody's taking notes. And then Jesus drops what again was just so, what are you talking about? And he said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Like, nah, 
that means that God does not like them. That means that God's paying them back. That means that somehow they're outside the good graces of God. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are mourning. Blessed are those who are walking through hard times. And everybody's listening, thought, no, those are all the people that God has forgotten, that God is paying back. And Jesus in this moment is making a very clear point. No, no, no. These are the people that your heavenly father knows. And he's with and he cares, and I am shifting the paradigm. Not only is God not getting them back, God loves them, and they have extraordinary dignity. Blessed are those who mourn. And then there's this, like, cute story <laughs> that we've kind of airbrushed where there's, we, we picture her as a little old lady if you grew up in Sunday school. I don't think this is accurate, but she's going into the temple, and she's dropping her two mites in a bucket. Anybody grew up? The way I did in this lame flannel graph and you learn the story, anybody? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you do, though. Um, and so she's dropped, but every, all the upper middle class had already been in, and they're dropping all their money. It's making a lot of noise, and they did it to make a scene. Hey, pat me on the back. I'm amazing. And they get done with this whole thing, and Jesus turns to all these guys and like, hey, hey, this woman that you just kind of look down on, you have this self-righteous attitude, you're so amazing, you give so much money to God, she's given more than all of you. Because God knows the heart, and this woman gave out of little, and the implication was you should get your notepad out, and you should start to learn from her, because she knows some things about God that you don't know, and this widow has not been forgotten by me. I know everything that she's doing, and I'll tell you, her faith is greater than your faith. And in that moment, our cute little widow's might story, we miss the implications of what Jesus was actually doing. He was elevating the status of somebody who was down here to go, in my economy, who is down here is actually up here, and a lot of times who is up here is down here. I view people differently than you do, and every individual has extraordinary dignity. And then the second thing is, Jesus elevated the status of every individual and the dignity of every individual through his interactions. Like you probably know this story. One day he goes to the well and there's a Samaritan woman there. And again, half breed in their culture. And she's there at noon. And the reason she's there at noon, nobody went to get water at noon in the desert. That's the hottest time of day. There's only one reason she's there because she's hiding. So you go at noon when it's hot and you're hiding and you don't want to meet anybody. And there's Jesus. His guys go to get some food and come back. And they are shocked that Jesus is taking the time to talk to this half-breed Samaritan. And here's the kicker. And she's a woman. And Jesus takes the time to hear her story and then invite her into relationship with him. And in this moment, he's elevating the dignity and the status of an individual who did not have dignity in that culture. And then there's one time with a Roman centurion. And a Roman centurion comes to Jesus, and Jesus is in the midst of, like, busy ministry. So his guys are all, if you read it, like, hey, Jesus, we've got a calendar. You've got to stick with this. We have a lot of appointments still. We're healing important people. We've got big crowds to talk to. And then in the midst of all that, Jesus stops for this Roman. And if you're a Jew, you don't like Romans. You do not like Roman centurions. And you do not like Roman centurions who talk about their servants. And the Roman centurion is like, I have a servant that is sick and he needs healed. And all of his, Jesus' guys are like, why would you even stop and listen to this guy? He's a Roman. He's a traitor. He doesn't love God. And come on, servants. Nobody cares about servants. It's a servant. Who cares? Like, they'll, you get another servant. And Jesus stops in that moment. Clear my calendar. And he heals this servant. And in this story, 
He's elevating the dignity of every individual, including Roman centurions who were Jewish people's enemies and servants who were seen as less than somebody who should have worth and dignity. And then one time, I could go on all day, but I won't. Jesus is, Jesus is preaching or he's giving this little TED talk and all these children start running up in Jesus' lap. And again, in our culture, we're like, that, that's such a great story. It's such an amazing story. And you hear the interaction of the disciples who are going, get the kids away. Like, again, Jesus is busy. This is a rabbi. This is a teacher. We believe, some of us, this is the Messiah. Don't, do not let kids start bothering him and getting all up in his lap. Like, this is out of control. And we hear that and go, what's wrong with these guys? Nothing was wrong with them in the first century. Because children had no dignity. Parents tried not to be attached because the mortality rate was so high. They would often discard little girls with no thought because they had no value. And in this moment, Jesus is like, shut up. Bring all the children to me. Why? Because I'm trying to create a cute story for Sunday school? No, because I want you to know that after me, everything's gonna change. And these little individuals that you see less than people, these guys are actually gonna inherit the kingdom of God and they have extraordinary dignity. Bring them all to me. And then there's Zacchaeus. I gotta stop, but I just thought about this one. And Zacchaeus is basically the equivalent of Roman mafia thug extortioner. Like that's Zacchaeus. They hang out with people nobody else hangs out with. He's the wee little man in the tree. Again, any Sunday school kids in the house, I'm, I'm just, I don't usually, but I'm preaching to you today. I'm throwing you a bone. And so Zacchaeus is in a tree. He's like, hey, you got to come down. Jesus awkwardly invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And again, all of Jesus' guys are like, okay, you don't go hang out with this guy. He is a part of a pyramid scheme that is ripping off us, the Jewish people. And he is a Jew and he's working for Rome and he's banking a lot of money. Why in the world would you go to his house? And then later he invites Matthew to come and to follow. And everybody knew, I mean, Matthew is way on the outside if God shows up. And in fact, in the New Testament, there was a whole different category for tax collectors. You read it all throughout the New Testament. There's sinners and there's tax collectors because all the sinners are like, we don't want them in our category. Like we're sinners, but we're not tax collectors, right? Like that's how it went down. And Jesus invites these men way on the outside because he was not concerned about guilt by association to go, I want you and Matthew, I know you, follow me. Because in this moment, I'm not just trying to pad my numbers in terms of my crowd and followers. I'm giving extraordinary dignity and value to people who are on the outside, who think that they have sinned their way outside of the grace of God. All of that is changing. Despite what you've done, and Jesus would go, I know what you've done. You have dignity because you are made in the image of God. And then one, one more, and I'll actually work in a verse. One time Jesus is um, with Pharisees, because he, here's the thing that's crazy. He didn't discriminate even against the religious people, which would have been my hardest task. But there he is at the table, and he didn't hang out with just Matthew and Zacchaeus. He's at the table, invited guests of some religious leaders, and there he is, and, and maybe you've heard the story, but basically a woman kind of sneaks up from behind on this porch and she begins to, and this is so awkward in our culture, it wasn't in their culture, but she begins to wipe Jesus, wash Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. And I don't know what Jesus did. I don't know if he just kept eye contact and kept teaching while this is happening, but everybody around the table, all the religious people are going, what are you doing? 
Because this is, this is a sinful woman. In fact, in the text, she is the sinful woman, and yet this is so in line with Jesus who would touch the sick. And rather than the sickness infiltrating Jesus, Jesus' power went out and healed the sick. And then he would hang around the sinners, and then he would spend time with the mentally ill. And so in this moment, they're so confused. The why Jesus didn't just stop this, throw her out in an instant. That's how natural it was that this woman shouldn't be here. And Luke records it this way, and I love it. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus over as the guest, he said to himself, and by the way, if Jesus shows up physically, you don't want to be saying anything to yourself. Like over and over, Jesus would be like, I'm going to answer that question. I didn't ask him. Like, no, I know, but you're about to ask it, so I'll answer. Like, Jesus is going to call you out even before you speak. So he's like thinking to himself, if this man were a prophet, basically, okay, if this Jesus guy who's sitting at my dinner table, if he were legit, if it were real, he'd know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. And so he's like, listen, obviously, he doesn't know where this woman's come from. He doesn't know where she's been. He doesn't know how she's living, that she is a sinner. Basically, this is their thinking. You are gonna be corrupted by the immoral person. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he starts to tell Simon the story about, like, there's two people who have massive debt. The one has huge debt, credit card bills, like just way out of the, the other one, low interest rate, smaller debt, but they both have debt. They need the debt taken care of. And they come to this guy and he forgives both the debts. One's like 70,000, the other's 2,000, but they go, both get forgiven, go their way. They don't have to pay any of the debt back. And then he turns to Simon, it's an obvious answer. He's like, who do you think is more grateful? Who do you think like the emotion is just at a greater degree just because they were forgiven more? Who, who is it? And he's like, well, it's the, it's the guy that had a greater amount forgiven. And then Jesus turns to all of these people at the table. And I love how Jesus never cared about making everybody else awkward around him. He's the invited guest and he turns to them to go, listen, I just wanna tell you guys, cause I know you're watching this and it's crazy. How could I allow this woman to do this? Like, I don't know, or I don't know where she's been or I don't know what she's done, but I just want to tell you, you know why she's here? Because she knows what she's been forgiven. In fact, Jesus would say, she has more self-awareness than any of you around the table. Because in God's economy, there's just me and there's you and there is debt that may look different from human perspective, but it's the same from God's perspective. And the fact that she is here is because she understands how much she has been forgiven. So the moral of the story, you should learn a thing or two from the sinful woman that is washing my feet because she understands what you have not been able to understand is that both of you are on an equal plane and you need me, but she's the only one that realizes it in this moment. And we think it's a great story about sin and God's forgiveness and grace. In this moment, Jesus is elevating the dignity of a woman in sin that everybody else looked down on and was pushed out of the temple a long time ago. And Jesus was making the point in this moment, you matter to me. And then Jesus, last thing, elevated the dignity of every single individual through his death. Can I just say this for a second for all my skeptic friends that tune in via radio and podcast and online that are physically sitting in the house today? Because part of what I just told there, you're like, I kind of I relate to that. Like sometimes I've, I've felt like her. 
and you've been pushed out or your parents had a divorce when you were 13 and they couldn't come back to church or you were a junior in high school and because of that behavior, you weren't allowed back in the door before and you had this behavior you couldn't get past and rather than coming alongside of you, they just were done with you and you're like, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, but if you had experienced what I'd experienced, so I get it. As much as I can get it, I understand it. So let me just put that on pause. Let me talk to all the Jesus followers for a second. If we believe that this was true, like Jesus elevated the status of every single individual through his death. I mean, if we believe that that is true, that Jesus anonymously for 30 years after being born in a manger kind of did life and then started a ministry and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And if we really believe that he willingly, without being, being twisted into it, without being manipulated, allowed himself to go to the cross and paid for all of the sin of the world, all of the wrath of humankind, every dysfunction, every evil thought, everything is outside of the bounds of what you would even communicate to another human being. Jesus knew it all on the cross. Jesus took it all on the cross. Jesus paid for every bit of sin and rebellion on the cross. And if you believe, and if we believe that that is true, if that happened, if that's true, if that's historical, if Jesus did that, it means that at the cross, the dignity of every single individual is raised in that moment. And as followers of Jesus, you can never look at anybody else the same way again. That at the foot of the cross, the playing field was leveled and Jesus raised the status of every single individual. And I love how Paul wrote it. Very rarely, like sometimes it's gonna happen, but not usually, very rarely, will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, you might possibly dare to die, but you're gonna have to love them a lot. But God, but God communicated and demonstrated his own love for us. Who's us? Us is you. Us is you. Us is me. Demonstrated his own love for us. Listen, what's one of the reasons that Jesus had to come? He had to demonstrate because if Jesus would have just given us teaching around this, we never would have believed it. He demonstrated for us that while we, who's we? We is us, us is we. While we, while us, were still sinners. Just pause for a second. While you were at your worst, Christ died for you. Don't move past that too fast. Meaning, when Jesus was on the cross, every single one of your sins was future. Meaning, Jesus paid for your past sin, Jesus paid for your present sin, but here's just the reality, I don't want this to discourage you, it should actually give you hope. Some of you are so self-righteous in this moment because you haven't gotten to your greatest regret yet. And there is a regret coming that is going to take the legs out from, your, out from under your self-righteousness that you don't even know about in this moment. And you will get to a place to do something that you didn't even think you were capable of. And in that moment, you will know how much you needed a savior and how much the playing field is leveled. And Jesus on the cross knew that that day was coming that you still don't know about and chose to die for you anyway. And at the foot of that cross is why 
why all self-righteousness goes away because he didn't just die for what you already know. He didn't just die for what you're involved in right now. He died for what's coming that you don't even know about yet and he didn't blink an eye to go, I'm gonna die for it anyway. I'm gonna love you anyway. I'm gonna know every rebellious thought, every rebellious act, the sin that you are still yet to get to and I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna die for you anyway and in that moment, I take away your right to have self-righteousness over anybody else because your dysfunction may look different, but it's all out of the same thing, which is a heart that needs a savior, and that savior is Jesus. And so now, anybody you're eyeball to eyeball with, whether they believe what you believe or not, or whether they've sinned way more than you think you could ever sin, there is no difference between you and them because at the foot of the cross, there is perfect God and there is you, and all of the self-righteousness that we could have was taken away in that moment as followers. Of Jesus. So while we were still sinners, while we were in the midst of it, the stuff that you still have to get to, Christ died for us. And somehow, and we know how, but somehow, Jesus was able to live completely without adjectives and without labels. And as much as we want to do that, how hard is that? Like you're about to roll into some Christmas dinners and you would not be around these people if you weren't forced to be. And uh, yeah, that's fine. You can be honest at church. Hopefully I don't watch the live stream but, um, and see you. There's some relational stuff, man, that hasn't been solved. There's, there's some tension, there's some jealousy and as much as, as much as we want to amen that and lift our hands and, yeah, Jesus, it is so hard to do. And yet somehow as you watch the life of Jesus, and if you want to know what God's like, watch Jesus. There really was no rich and poor. There really was no moral immoral in terms of how Jesus interacted and reacted. There really was no Jew, Gentile, Roman. There wasn't slave. There wasn't free. There wasn't male. There wasn't female. There wasn't young. There wasn't old. There wasn't even really any religious, irreligious. Like you watch the life of Jesus and Jesus just saw people, people. I think it was Philip Yancey who said, not sure. But us as human beings, like we live on planet earth. So we like, we're, we're in the midst of all of it. We see all the topography, we, all the mountain and valley and ditch and like all that's going on around us. We, we understand all the complexities of it. Like every mountaintop, every valley, like we're in it, we're living in it, we see it. And yet from the perspective of like outer space, just all looks the same. You can't, you, you can't distinguish any of that. And somehow from the vantage point of perfect God, we're just a bunch of people who have expressed our dysfunction differently and it's just all of us imperfect God. And it's why at Christmas, Jesus says, listen, I know that you wanna compare and you wanna jockey and you wanna feel better because of, but it is just you and me and you need me a savior and all of you are on an equal plane. And perhaps this is why Jesus had so little patience for self-righteousness. In fact, I would say it this way. When leaders, and honestly, this should be more general, when just people in general, and especially people who claim to know Jesus, when leaders and people use the words of God to hurt people bearing the image of God, 
Jesus was quick to remind them that they were on the wrong side of God. Over and over again, listen, if you alienate or you hurt anyone, Jesus would say, not in my kingdom, not in my movement, not in my ecclesia. Come on, isn't it true? The implications, if this is true, if what Jesus introduced was true, the Christian community should be the most non-discriminatory, it doesn't matter to us who you are, group of people on the planet. True. And listen, we should be criticized sometimes for what we believe, and this is why I always love to talk to my skeptic friends about what some of what we believe is weird. When you come to the conclusion that Jesus died and rose, then it's easy to go, just go with the guy who rose from the dead. Like, even if I have questions, I'm, I'm going with you. But there's some stuff that we believe that's weird, so I'll just give you that, but come on. They should criticize what we believe, but we should be famous for how we treat one another. Like every single outsider, many of you feel like that today, who are outside the Jesus thing or the church should be envious of how we treat each other. And so come on, if Jesus is right, and I just said it, if somebody can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, you should just take them seriously, whatever they say. So if Jesus is right, if you walked out of a grave alive, it means this, everybody is somebody. It means that everybody is somebody that God loves and everybody is somebody for whom Christ died. And everybody that you are eyeball to eyeball with reminds God of himself because they are made in the image of God. And I just wanna tell you, that is self-evident. But that is not natural. And so I wanna encourage you to do two things and I'm gonna be done and they're uncomfortable and I get it so you don't have to do any of them but for those of you like there's something in you to go I'm serious about this for some of us there's two things that we need to do and the first one's kind of an old school term but it's not it's so powerful and for some of us it's so needed and the first term is just this for some of us we just need to repent and again I know we want to draw large categories of this and that and I you know I'm I, I value all really because for some of us, we're about to be confronted with relationships again where it stirs up all this stuff in us that we would never admit. And if we were really to be honest about what's going on in our hearts, there's just certain people like, I don't like you because you're, you're smart. I look down on you because you're not smart. I don't like you because you're too skinny. You're gonna eat whatever you want over Christmas and you're gonna still look great. And you just annoy me because of that. And I'm gonna be passive aggressive around you every time I meet you. I, I, don't, I don't like you because you're white. I don't like you because you're black. I don't like you because you're brown but not from here. And I just have an issue with that. I get kind of annoyed because you're successful. And I don't feel like you earned all that. And you got a lot handed to you. And it just kind of annoys me. And I don't like you. Or because you're rich. Or because you're poor and I feel like you're lazy, or you're just a, and religious people are so famous for it, you're just a sinner. And yes, all the language of, they need Jesus, and we wanna reach them, but we, we ultimately treat them like a, something to be converted or something that is condescended to that somehow needs to be brought into the light, and we never actually treat them like human beings who, regardless of what they believe, they have extraordinary individual dignity, not me, Jesus. And there's all of this stuff inside of us, and I'm just telling you, it is self-evident, but it is not natural. And at the foot of the cross, we lose our right to look down on anybody for any reason. Are they different? Yes. Better than? No. 
Do I understand them all the time? Mm-mm. Am I better than? No. Do they annoy me sometimes? Yes. Am I better than them? No. So let me just ask you a couple questions and I'll be done. Who do you power up around? Who, when you get around them, and you're not gonna tell anybody unless you get with a couple friends to justify what you feel, and like they are, they are pretty terrible, right? But like generally you're not gonna tell anybody, but you feel superior around them. Who do you look down on? Where are you tempted to leverage what makes you feel better at their expense? Who do you feel empowered to treat as less than? And for some of us, it's whole groups of people. Who do you maintain a bad attitude toward? And I just wanna encourage you this time of year, and maybe in the midst of a culture that is more outrage culture than ever before, and if I could be really honest, I I think as a whole, the church, talking about 3,000 foot level, needs to do a lot of repenting. Because we say we believe this, and yet in this season, In so many cases, we have operated as something that is entirely different than what Jesus brought to humanity. And we so easily create groups based on what you did, on what you believe, on what your worldview, and we justify and we push other people out. And literally we are warring against God's primary mission in our generation to be a megaphone to the world to go. It does not matter what you believe. It does not matter your worldview. It does not matter your skin color. It does not matter your political political standing. You are made in the image of God and I'm gonna put everything else second and I'm gonna put the dignity and value and worth that Jesus has called me to usher into every human being around me as the number one priority of my life should be the priority of every single church. And if the church did that in our generation in the midst of an outrage culture, we would change the world, but we are unwilling to give up our differences for what is the primary mission of Jesus, that God so loved the world that he came and he came for everybody and come on if you're not a christian do whatever you want you have no accountability to the teaching of jesus because you've never sought to follow jesus you haven't signed on the jesus thing so you don't need to do any of this that's just natural that's survival the fittest but come on if you're a follower of jesus you're held to a different standard and for some of us we just need to get on our knees and you're like, I don't pray on my knees. I, I get it. This should be one of the things that physically you're capable, you should do it on your knees. We need to repent. And then here's the second thing we need to do. As much as possible, we need to repair. And here's what I'll just tell you. The people around you that you've powered up around and you've treated your sister-in-law or mother-in-law as less than, or you've been passive aggressive to whatever, can I just promise you in most circumstances, it's telegraphed. So they already know. They know by what you didn't say, by what you did say, about kind of how you reacted to that. And there is a relationship that needs repaired. And I don't know what you need to do. It may need to be a conversation, may need to be apology, may need to be a text that you go ahead and send now to try to break some of the awkwardness of somebody that you're about to see. But you need to take the first step to do whatever you can to begin to repair that relationship. And for some of us, it's just this, is that we need to become intentional about elevating rather than denigrating some other individuals around us. So I'm just gonna end with this. Where do you need to repent? And what do you need to repair? Where do you need to repent? And what relationship do ultimately you need to repair? Because come on, this is literally the message of Christmas that God came to reconcile the world to himself. 
so that when the Christmas story starts in the city of David, why would you include David? David was a screw up. David ended his life so, because I am elevating the dignity of every single individual. And even the person who had some of the biggest missteps in all of biblical history is gonna be used in the story of God because no matter how far you run, you are still made in my image. I am still pursuing you. And so David gets to be a central piece in the Christmas story because God came for all people. And so in the city of David, a savior was born. And I'll end with this because I quote this every year because it's my most famous line or my most favorite line, maybe in any hymn, any song ever written that talks about the essence of the Christmas story and just says this, long lay the world in sin, in error, pining. And pining just means waiting, longing. When's it gonna happen? Till Jesus appeared and the soul Every soul, every individual soul felt its worth. Just pray with me wherever you are right now. And I wanna give an opportunity as I pray for some of you to begin a relationship with Jesus because despite maybe all the baggage that you've carried in here today, not even all things that you personally have done, some things have been done to you by other religious people. This is the moment where you would say, I believe that. And so I just wanna give you an opportunity to pray this prayer after me. And it's not a prayer that saves you. It's simply you putting words to your declaration of trust and you don't even have to get the right words. Jesus is gonna acknowledge it, but you would just pray this after me as your declaration of faith in Jesus as your savior to pray this. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you lived the perfect life that I couldn't. I believe that you died on the cross for all my sin. And right now, I'm trusting you to forgive me and to save me. The scripture says the moment you make that transfer, a declaration of trust, you become a son and a daughter of God, adopted into God's family. And my prayer for you is that maybe in the, for the first time in your life, despite what's going on around you, that you would feel your worth and your dignity because of Jesus. Wherever you're right at, at right now, I wanna encourage you to do two things, one of two things to take a next step, to text 94,000, CC decide to 94,000 if you've made a decision for the first time. And if you're looking to take a next step to move from just, just attending to belonging, I wanna encourage you to text right now, CC next steps to 94,000. CC decide or CC next steps to 94,000 because we wanna help you take your next step in your journey of following Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for what you've given us that has survived for 2000 years. And Lord, I thank you for this thing that, that you put to the forefront, this idea that every single individual has dignity that is self-evident, but it's not natural. And so I pray for many of us, thousands who are listening and watching all over the place, those who are in the room that maybe for the first time or the first time in a while, we would be moved back. We would be reminded of what is not natural, but what you made self-evident. And I pray that it would practically begin to flow out in the way we think, the way we talk, and individual relationships around us right now. And I pray, God, as uncomfortable as it is, that you personally would bring some faces and some names to the forefront of our mind where we need to repent and we need to repair. And Lord, I pray for the church and I pray for our church in this season, that God, we would be a light like never before. 
that people may criticize what we believe, but the thing that we would be known for among everything else is that regardless of what you believe, where you are, what you look like, what you hold to, your current behavior, you have extraordinary dignity because of Jesus. And so God, I thank you for that message that we would not have come to if not learned from you. Help us to know right now in this moment how to apply it to our lives. And I pray this in your incredible name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.